You're listening to the Two Bucks Podcast, the podcast for outdoor entrepreneurs. Little by little, I was getting the sense of my time isn't my time. Just kept doing this pull to the outdoors and wanting to do something in the outdoor space. Welcome to the Two Bucks Podcast, the podcast for outdoor entrepreneurs. Today with me is Reese Anderson from Northwind Taxidermy out of North Dakota. We connected, I believe, a few years ago through Instagram. Back when I lived in North Dakota, I was posting lots of content and came across his page. So with that, Reese, how are you, man? Good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You Obviously, you're a taxidermist. You're out west, right, on the west half of the state probably do yep. a lot of mule deer, elk, whitetails. How did you get into the outdoors, and then how did that turn into an outdoor business? Yeah, I mean, grew up in, grew up and raised in Dickinson. I mean, that's, what, 40 miles from the Badlands, so yeah. quick half-hour trip. And then, I mean, Dad just got me into hunting, fishing at a young age. I mean, I think I was turkey hunting at five years old and just always out with him and whatnot. But I actually started on whitetails and then just recently um, switched over to hunting mule deer. That's kind of more based on some of my buddies' preferences. Yeah. Just, I mean, every opening weekend we're out there camping, kind of just a guy's weekend tradition. Um, For me to get started in taxidermy, I mean, I did Europeans in like high school just for like side cash and whatnot, gas money. Yeah. And I think it was about right after deer season, my senior year, I was like, you know, I kind of want to see like what else there is to this and started looking up schools to go to tax, like go taxidermy school and whatnot. And uh, I was actually kind of, fast paced, um, graduated high school in May. And two weeks later, I'm living in Billings in a hotel, going to taxidermy school. While everyone else is up at the lake fishing and doing doing whatever else uh, seniors do after they graduate. Yeah, and I mean, just kind of fell in love with it. And it's crazy. Like the process really made me respect other taxidermists, you know, like I always wind my stuff back like ASAP, but it's like, once you actually get your hands on doing it, it's yeah. Like you see how much work actually has to go into, you know, one deer shoulder mount or one flying pheasant. Yeah. I hear you. It's, it's not easy. I had an elk that I shot in North Dakota and that was at the taxidermist for almost two years. And yeah. I, I told the guy, great friend of mine, um, you know, don't rush. I definitely don't want you to try to finish this up fast and, and, and have to cut any corners. I'm okay if you got to finish all your whitetail clients first. I mean, this is a once-in-a-lifetime elk, so I'm okay with taking time. But, yeah, you definitely start to appreciate what taxidermists go through. I learned firsthand when I had to start caping out all of my own animals because of all the CWD laws, um, trying to do, like, a full-face cape in the field with your field kit is like very daunting, especially on a, a bull, like the one I shot 350 class bull and you don't want to mess anything up. It was the first time I did it. 
I should have, you know, tried it on a dough or something first. So I didn't, so I knew what I was doing, but yeah, there's a lot of work to go through into just getting ready to do the mount, getting the hide off, cleaning it, not nicking the, the, you know, the big one for me was the eye glands, not oh, nicking yeah, those. The tear ducts, tear ducts get everyone. I feel like, I think I sell probably, oh, 70% of my tear ducts back up. Yeah. Just cause people will nick them. I mean, I probably get, oh 10 15 calls a year on how do i cape a deer and my biggest thing is uh watch youtube videos yeah youtube that's funny you say that the first guest we had dan matthews said it whenever someone asked me how to start a podcast i just say youtube you know you can learn everything on youtube and it goes for taxidermy or at least caping out and now it's a common thing especially if you hunt out of state you have to almost cape out all your animals to bring them back home. Otherwise you have to pick a taxidermist where you are. And I'd rather, you know, build a relationship with somebody I know like you or, you know, the family guy we have in Minnesota. That way I know who's got it. It's close to home. I can go see it. A lot of times I'll pick up the skull caps and keep them at my house while we're waiting on the tannery. So yeah, I have a few guys do that. Like, I mean, I had two bull moose and two once in a lifetime, North Dakota bull moose actually. And, uh, I mean, these things were 40 inches wide Jeez. and it's like, uh, where do I store these in my shop? Like, so I just, you, you know, come get skull, it. yeah, I was like, Hey, you can store it at your house. Cause I know all your buddies are going to want to see it and yeah. hold it and whatnot. And like, I mean, same with, uh, one of my buddies, little sister shot a, I mean, this mule deer's phenomenal for where it was shot actually phenomenal for the state of North Dakota, but. I mean, I taped that 208. Oh my gosh. I mean, and she's 16 years old and yeah, he, I mean, he has it. They have it. They have the skull cap actually sitting in their living room. I would too. If I shot a 208 inch mule deer, that's insane. That's, that's over half as big as my elk. I mean, yeah, that's definitely the biggest uh, mule deer I've held to date and I didn't even get to shoot it, but wow. I mean, that's part of it. Like you see, some of these people come in here they don't like it doesn't matter what it is i've mounted yeah anything from a 200 inch mule deer to not kidding i mean a fork mule deer two by two yeah i mean some people if it's their first deer or it's a strong memory or they just like i've tried to mount everything um i'm definitely not afraid of taxidermy i i i had joked that with my the one i use at home that i'd have to add them on a retainer just because I'm, we take so many animals to him in the family um, that we just should hire him out as our own personal family taxidermist. Because it was like one year, I think we filled 17 big game tags across the five Yikes. bucks. Yeah. And not some of them were does, but a lot of them were antelope, antler mounts, whitetails, mule deer. I had a, We both had elk that year. Yeah. So it definitely adds up, but I love it. And I'm sure you do too. I mean, there's nothing that makes me more excited than when I walk into a buddy's house for the first time and he's got a bunch of shoulder mounts. I like forget all about the conversation and just go check every one of them out. Individually. Oh yeah. I mean, everyone has a story and that's kind of what I like about taxidermy. Like I, even like just last fall, like getting back on like the two by two to a 200 inch. I mean, I had a guy European mount, 185 inch mule deer with just junk everywhere. And then this other guy, you know, about the same age, brings in a two by two and he's just jacked. Oh, yeah. He shot his first deer with his bow and we're doing a full shoulder mount with habitat and everything. And 
Then there's another guy, you know, 185 uh, a, class yeah. real deer, and it's like Euro it. Yeah. Because, I mean, each one has a different story, and, I mean, just getting to, like, recreate that's kind of fun. I've heard of a lot of people in the sheep game start to Euro their original skull and then make a replica and use that for the shoulder mount because they want to be able to pick up that sheep skull after they realize how heavy they are. Have you had anybody bring in a sheep to your shop yet? No, I haven't done a sheep yet. I mean, like going on that, uh, cause like, I mean, obviously you're going to get your euros back a little quicker. Yeah. So, I mean, then, I mean, your shoulder mounts, the shoulder mounts are 12, 15 months yep. and a euros six months probably. Yeah. So they can get that Euro back and show their friends and family. But uh, another cool product out there right now is uh, it's called mini muleys. Okay. And I'm like, I'm one of their uh, taxidermists. Like, so basically what I do for them is you bring it in and I'll take pictures of it, send it to them. They 3d print it into a miniature shoulder mount European. I mean, they're pretty cool. Oh, sweet. I think I've seen their Euros. A lot of guys will, like, hang them off their, their rear-view mirror and rear stuff like mirrors. that. Yeah, oh, now that's they just start awesome getting idea. into the shoulder mounts. And so, like, I'm offering that now for, you know, these once-in-a-lifetimes where they don't get them back for 12, 15 months. It's like I can turn those around in two months. What does the miniature run for? Like, if I wanted to send you – I suppose it'd be kind of hard now because my bowl is mounted, but if I wanted a little miniature Euro of my bowl and we got the pictures figured out, how much would it cost to do that? Oh, uh, I have the papers here somewhere on this messy desk, but I want to say it's like right around the $200 range for a miniature shoulder mount or a miniature Euro. Yeah, definitely not like free. But yeah, super cool, especially for a lot of us like myself who have day jobs and I, I work from home most of the time, but I do have a desk at an office building. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to be able to bring in a full elk. That's not realistic, but I could bring in a miniature Euro and have a little wall of all of my miniature Euro mounts at my desk. That'd be super cool. Yeah. I think that's kind of how they got started with it too, was, I mean, you kind of want to carry some of them special mounts with you to show people. Yeah. And I mean, they just kind of blew up from, and I actually got to meet them uh, down in Salt Lake city um, at the Western hunt expo. Oh, cool. Do you go to that every year? Actually this year was my first year going and uh, I, it was kind of a, it's kind of a crazy story how we got down there. Uh, So where I order my supplies out of, uh, their warehouses in Salt Lake City. Okay. Well, I got tired of paying shipping. <laughs> so I said, I'm going on a road trip. Yeah. Well, yeah. And Especially with the amount of stuff you have shipped in. I, I bet it's like just, it's cheaper to drive out there with a trailer than. Yep. That's exactly what I did. And so I asked my brother if uh, he wanted to come with. And so we're like, yeah, we'll make this trip. We're going to make it in three days. We're going to go down, spend the night, pick up the stuff spend the night and drive back. So then I'm scrolling through social media and think either Eric Chesser or one of those guys posted at the hunt expo was going on. I was like, that's like two days after we're supposed to leave. Call my brother up. I was like, you want to go to the hunt expo? And he's like, well, sure. I guess we'll take a week off of work. That's awesome. 
so yeah, we went down there. Um, I got to meet all those guys, which I mean, I look up to those guys a lot. Oh, heck yeah. I mean, I grew up watching all their shows and on YouTube and I mean, I could say I'm a little bit of a fanboy. I mean, Hey, I am too. Follow them on social media. I've DM'd uh, Rise and Shed a few times. So, like, getting to meet him. Uh, got to meet Shed Crazy and all those guys. And, I mean, uh, getting to meet, like, the people you look up to and who started from the bottom and now are, you know, living their dreams. And that's what I'm trying to do. I mean, definitely uh, – motivates me a little bit more oh for sure it's funny you mentioned that because the last guest we had nathan goodworth with all in co he developed a, a magnetic spotting scope adapter so it's literally like boom tap it onto your spotting scope it connects with the magnets instantly yeah I'm gonna... i've seen those across like tiktok and social media and it's actually funny you say that because i was sitting here last night putting a mule deer together at probably oh it was like 10 o'clock i saw that yeah and, yeah listening the the podcast whatnot cool yeah well um we're actually i got talking to nathan afterwards and i'm actually going to join in with um all in and nathan as like an ambassador affiliate so now there's a two bucks podcast code to save 10 percent on his adapter just two oh, bucks that's awesome yeah for anyone out there that wants to to get a, the world's best spotting scope adapter but uh eric and ben and Brian Call and Jordan and Casey are all partners, like official partners in that company. Yeah. So it's funny how you are talking about them. The last episode we were talking about them. I'm trying to get Ben on the podcast because he has an amazing story of him recording an, a video of him walking out of his job for the last time, hitting the punch card for the last day, and then starting full time on YouTube. And it's just a super cool story and really what Two Bucks is all about. And so, yeah, I'd love to meet those guys, too. I'd, I'd count myself as a fanboy. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty awesome. And uh, for the Hunt Expo, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's like three or four days. Yeah. And, I mean, you can cover it in a day. My brother and I did. We kind of just walked around. And then the second day we walked around, whatever, and, like, bought merch and then left. But uh, that first day we were walking around, and you don't, like – I didn't realize uh, people like look out for taxidermists so much. So I'm wearing, you know, Northwind taxidermy stuff. And I don't know how many people came up and like, you work for a taxidermist or like, it's oh, just someone's sure. merch. And I was like, uh, no, I am a taxidermist. And I think I ran out of business cards down in Utah. I think I handed more out there than I do in North Dakota. Oh, that's awesome. Good for you. Yeah, I, uh, the Western Hunt Expo is on my list of shows to get to this year. Hopefully I have enough vacation days, um, which is not a very two bucks moment. Obviously, I still have a day job, so I still have vacation days to worry about. Hopefully one day we're getting to the point where we don't have to worry about vacation. But the ATA show and the Western Hunt Expo are two of my top shows I want to go to this year to meet you know people and brands and make connections and then obviously line up podcasts afterward. But I plan to go this year. Yeah, it's definitely a show that should be almost on anyone's bucket list. Yeah. It's one heck of a time. Yeah. you Like you said, you have to cover it and then go back and buy your merch or else you'll be out of money before you get to. Oh, yeah. yeah you got to really pick like, and choose. It's like Thanksgiving. 
yeah, it's like, okay, I want this shirt. And then you go to the next booth and it's like, oh, that hat kind of looks cool. Or, you know, oh, that, that worked good in the field. And it's like, yeah. Then you get back to the hotel and you're like, uh, where's my checkbook? Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned you went straight from high school to taxidermy school. How long did taxidermy school take? And when did all that happen? Like, how long have you been doing it? So, yeah, I mean, left two weeks after high school graduation, got down to Billings, and then taxidermy school was only two months. So it was four courses, uh, two weeks course. But, I mean, people are like, oh, that's not that long for school. It's like uh, the days we're putting in are like 12, 15-hour days in the shop. You get a lunch break and a supper break, and you're back in the shop. Wow. And so, yeah, you, I mean, I mounted, let's see, one whitetail, one mule deer, an antelope, an elk, six birds, a life-size fox, a fox rug. Oh, I mean, I probably can't even name them all that I did in school. Wow. And, yeah, then uh, graduated from Pro Mount School of Taxidermy and came back to Dickinson and I mean, opened up. I got back in, I mean, three weeks before bow season opened and started up right away. Um, worked out of my grandpa's little shop. I mean, I had probably 20 feet by 20 feet, but I made it work. Nice. I could probably could do one to two mounts at a time. But I mean, like have one set up drying and then have one that you're mounting and then just keep swapping them. Yep, I could just rotate them through so I could two basically do two projects at a time. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this will do for a while, you know, and did not realize the need for taxidermists in the area. Uh-huh. Yeah. And my second year, I'm bringing in close to 30 shoulder mounts. Uh, wow. I hired, hired out one of my buddies that was still in high school to do all my euros because we brought in like 60 to 70 euros. Jeez. It's like, uh, I don't have time to do all this because I'm still insane. working. I'm still working full time. So I'm doing this on nights and eat like nights and weekends. And it's like, yeah, I need to expand and start looking at expanding. And then finally in oh, December, I finally pulled the trigger on expanding and actually building a taxidermy shop. Just this last December? You're yeah. like on eight months? Yep. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, so I've been in this taxidermy shop now for, yeah, eight months. And, I mean, there's room, but I don't think I, you know, even when you, like, build a garage or a shop, you know, you make it big enough that you think, but then you don't realize how much stuff takes up. And it's like, oh, should have made it, you know, 30 feet bigger. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, my dad just built a shop, and it's already full. Completely. Yeah, I mean, you always, or you just buy more toys or fill yeah. it up. I mean, this shop kind of turned into my buddy's little hangout too, because they like to see, you know, what comes in the shop and what goes out. Oh yeah. And, Going to the taxidermist is my favorite day of the week. Even when my stuff's not there, like I pick something up or drop something off or need to write him a check. I, I always like, Hey, you got anything cool in, you know, and he opens yep. up his closet and um, you show us stuff off. It's like the greatest time. I, I feel like you could 
easily double dip like taxidermy by day and then like uh like a cigar club or a you know oh. that type of like hangout at night where all the guys are coming in just shooting the breeze drinking a couple beers and just looking oh, at all yeah, this I stuff mean, i think that happens probably two to three times a week here um in the winter we were shooting bow in my shop oh heck yeah man! it's 20 well it's 60 feet long so 20, 20 yards. yards yeah so yeah we were just putting some reps in shooting cool. at 20 and uh it's actually funny i mean they're kind of making this place a little too close to home for them yeah it's like i, I still gotta had, get work done guys <laughs> yeah i kind of got on them a little bit which you know they realized real quick you know hey he's got work to do yeah so they at least call before they come i mean they used to just walk in yeah it's like two o'clock and you're still getting a bunch of shit done and they're off work so they stop in yeah i mean i've been working here on like a saturday and they'll they'll he called one of my buddies called one time and they're like, Hey, we're going to stop at the shop real quick. I'm like, okay. So I'm working, you know, whatever. And the front door opens and it's open for a while. And all of a sudden I hear a bunch of scratching and I turn around and they're hauling in a 12 foot Christmas tree, which is behind me. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, my mom was going to throw it away. I thought it looked good and good in our shop. And I looked at him. I was like, our shop. He goes, I mean, it's kind of ours. We're here most of the time, too. That's awesome. And, and then, then I see, is that a shed in there, too? Yeah, we kind of turned it into, I mean, the shed tree. Yeah. So, I mean, it's getting full of sheds. I mean, that's one of my strong passions is shed hunting. Yeah. As you can Especially, tell, I'm, I'm a novice. I Yeah, I can, you know, see the wall behind you. Most of those are actually Dakota sheds. I would say, I think there's like 100 and some there and i'd say 90 of them are from north dakota and south dakota yeah that's a good pile for sure yeah i gotta start doing these are all little ones on the bottom yep. they're not big enough the top wire is all special sheds so there's only 10 of them up there and then there's as many okay. as will fit on these two of like two and three and four year olds mm-hmm. but the one-year-olds i'm I, it's like i don't have room for them anymore so i'm actually thinking about starting another business about getting rid of one-year-old sheds i don't know what it'll be yet but I mean, I thought about that too, cause I had a pile at my house. I mean, I probably had 150 sheds at my house at one time and we'd be before this shop was built. I mean, we'd always just hang out in my living room and that's where the pile was. And I bet every night we hung out, uh, it was getting pulled apart. Yeah. And that's why I put the top wire. Cause I take those ones off all the time. So now I can just grab one of my bigger ones off and show people rather than have to dig through the pot. Yeah. I mean, uh, kind of lost my train of thought there, but yeah, we just pull that apart and whatnot, but I kind of getting started into the, uh, like dog chews on my smaller sheds. Yeah. Cause I got two dogs now that are, uh, trained for finding sheds and, I mean, I'll be working here and they'll go. I actually have to keep my euros off the ground because my year and a half old will pick up a euro and bring it to me. Well, that's a good skill um, when you're out in the when you're out in the badlands. Yeah, but not uh not in the taxidermy shop with someone else's deer. Do, so, are you hitting up like public land most of the time, shed hunting, like out in the badlands, or you got private? Uh, most of it's all public. I kind of switched over to public. I used to, like, when I hunted whitetails, it was all private land. And uh, when I went over to mule deer, I kind of just fell in love with 
going out to the Badlands and walking around. And so, yeah, most of it now is all public. Sweet. We should line up a, a shed hunt together. I've, I love going to the Badlands. Um, back when I had tags out there, it's my favorite. It was just the favorite memories of camping in the truck and, or setting mm-hmm. up a tent in one of the campgrounds. And it's just great country. It's just amazing. Um, did a little shed hunting out there, got my butt kicked. I did 30 miles, and my fiance oh. found an old, rusty uh, two-point mule deer shed. Yeah, it's. I mean, the Badlands definitely gets hit hard Yeah, the sheds. I mean, sheds, or they just find them while hunting out there. Yeah. But, yeah, I definitely feel you, feel you there. I mean... I don't know how many miles I've walked out there and not found a single thing. Are you have you been getting on any elk sheds out there? I have only three North Dakota elk sheds right now. There's I some mean, monsters out there. I have some friends that he picked up a seven point shed bow hunting mule deer, and I'm pretty sure I know which valley it was because we used to hunt the same valley. And I, I had mean, a vid and I had a picture of a seven point bull on trail camera from that valley. So there's some monster sheds out there. Oh, they're definitely, I mean, I found some definitely monster mule deer. Yeah. My elk, not yet. I mean, they're just like some raghorn fives. One had a cool devil's tine on it, which was oh, cool. a little yeah. bonus. But other than that, I mean, yeah, a couple big mule deer. And I want to, I do want to get up on some giant elk. Yeah. Like I, so the, the taxidermist that mounted my bull, he, uh, he has a basement shop. And so he's like, I can't get it out the door. And if I can't get it out my door, you're probably not going to get it in yours. So what do you think about cutting the antlers off and, and putting pegs in them? And I was like, I love that idea because then I can pop them off and treat them like oh, a I shed. Love when people, yeah, I love when people uh, ask for, uh, like, when I can replace my antlers and whatnot. Yeah. So it's, it's like, yeah, I mean – definitely uh take some weight off and you can haul them around a lot easier because you can put an elk shoulder mount probably in the back of an suv without the antlers i didn't choose to do that but i um i think it would be possible i think i could almost get it in the back of my truck if i folded my seats up but i had a big base that i made i made the frame for it and then my taxidermist did the habitat and it weighs like 250 pounds and so then I had to take the I had to, I screwed up and I made the base like thirty four inches wide, and then I found out most doors are like thirty one inches wide. So I had to take oh, the, yeah. I had to take the whole door jam off my door to get it in my basement. Get in. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not gonna be doing that anymore. Um, but I did build this all myself with all that habitat. That is a Hobby Lobby special grass right there. And then I've went and found some clay landy or uh, sandy loam soil in my neighborhood, and I did. Uh, spray adhesive and then um wife shaped it with spray foam and then i did a spray adhesive and sprinkled it on and just kept layering that until it looked good yeah yeah it was a fun project and it was another thing that really opened my eyes to the value of a good taxidermist because i don't want to do that again (laughs) yeah i mean habitat work is actually probably one of my favorites to do because it just i mean ties a whole mount together yeah i mean i will talk someone into uh habitat so are you building, like, are you doing the frames yourself and, and doing, like, the barnwood, or do you just order those in and then build the habitat on I have, top? I have a guy who builds them for me here in town. Okay. So he builds, like, the pedestal or the base, because I tried, and, yeah, that's a whole nother level. Yeah, see, that's where my skill set was a little bit. I used to, I had a, a part-time job in high school as a 
carpenter framing houses. So I got pretty familiar with stuff and my grandpa was a big woodworker, but it's hard to make shit line up. Right. Like when you're doing trim work and I did an octagon, yeah. so you're trying to do these 22 and a half degree angles and make them line up perfect. It's, it's not tricky. It's not easy. It's kind of tricky. So that's where I would just buy it the next time. Yeah. It's, I did a uh, octagon pedestal for uh, my competition coyote and I mean, even now I can look at it and it's like, yeah, I should probably redo the trim work before I take it to competition because I'm definitely getting docked for that. Yeah, which yeah. is silly. Like, you should just be like, does he have a base? Check. Is there habitat? Check. Okay, now how good is the habitat? Who cares about the woodworking? Like, you're not a woodworker. You're a taxidermist. And then, like, yeah. and, you know, and then the quality of the mound. It should just be like, is there a base? Check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, competent. Like, there's two, like, different styles of taxidermy, which I never knew. Okay. Before I went to school, um, it's yeah, competition and commercial and they, they're like totally different. Yeah. So how many, do you compete regularly or, or how does that work? This year will be my first year competing. Nice. Actually. Where do you, where do you compete at? Or like, where does that take place? So the North Dakota taxidermist association will put on a taxidermy show. I think normally it's in Bismarck. Okay. And yeah, so you like register, uh, you register your mount, take it down there. They take pictures. Um, another cool thing about like going to competition is, uh, you get to like go to all these seminars yeah. with these world champions and learn different tactics and different tips and tricks and whatnot. Yeah, for sure. To improve your, uh, improve your mount. So it's kind of more of, uh, I view, I'm basically going to competition more to just, uh, not to win the ribbon or anything. It's more just invest in the business and make my mounts better. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. So when you, when you built your shop in December, did you go full time and then too, or are you still doing a main job and a side gig? How does that work out? So I'm, I mean, it's kind of 50, 50. Okay. So I'm a route driver for Coca-Cola. Yep. So basically, I'm, um, you know, on the truck, delivering pop to gas stations, vending machines, whatnot. And I mean, I have to thank them for, uh, I mean, being so flexible. I mean, I basically get the whole month of November off. Oh, damn. Which is nice. Yeah. Because they know, I mean, that my three bosses are all huge outdoorsmen. So they know, I mean, deer season opens in November. I mean, he's got to be at the shop. Yeah. So I get, I don't know. I Yeah, I bet I get at least half the month of November off. Wow. That's Just awesome. Did you have to trade shop. some taxidermy time for that? You know, hey, if you guys give me the month off, I'll give you a, a, a euro amount in return. Uh, not yet. I know once they do bring in something, they'll get uh, treated a little special here. They'll get the friends and family. Yeah, they'll definitely get that discount. Awesome. Cool. Cool. Is that is full-time something that you'd be interested in if you got to that level of, of stopping Coca-Cola and then doing this full-time? That's, that's the goal. Yeah. And, I mean, with – I mean, I'm, I mean, it's close. Every year's different. Yep. I mean, our bird numbers here dropped significantly. So, I mean, I brought in way less birds than I thought I was going to last year. 
Sure. And then with CWD and EHD taking out all our whitetails basically around here. Yeah, that hit hard. But my first year doing it, I brought in, I mean, 80% was whitetails getting mounted, and now it's 80% mule deer because the trophy whitetails just aren't around. Yeah, not especially on public. It's hard to it's hard to find them, unlock them. Um, but yeah, that's it. the The weather can definitely hit hard, and and you prob most people probably don't understand that like when it's bad hunting for you, it's also bad business for your taxidermist. And it's like, well, that's common sense. But like EHD, you're like, oh man, the hunting's not going to be this good. Well, then you have to like really plan out. Like, man, EHD is hitting hard this summer. I am not expecting a lot of business coming in this fall from the Badlands. And then do you adjust accordingly? Because it is pretty cyclical. Like you get a lot of business in the fall, maybe a little bit in the winter with varmint hunters, but then, you know, I mean, you got to balance that out all year long. So how does that work for you? Just do your best to budget and pencil out what you need for the whole yeah, year? Yeah, I mean, I bet like, I definitely like, you know, I don't mount a deer or like, Every time I'm in the shop, I don't mount a deer. I mean, there's a bunch of like other things that need to be done. And I did not realize that when starting a business. Um, I am basically the accountant, the janitor, the taxidermist, uh, the receptionist. I mean, yep. yeah, when you're in a business, you're not just that person. You're the entire business. And um, so every day has its own tasks. So I'm not uh mounting a deer doing finish work or you know one day i'm probably building habitat yeah yeah it takes a lot of time to i mean especially habitat that's really finicky work there awesome awesome so what i mean if you were going to do it all over again is there anything you would have changed about how you got into taxidermy or or advice if someone is listening to this and just like man i'd love to you know build a shop i'd love to have that that lifestyle i love deer and you know getting all the the antlers that come in in the fall how what would what advice would you give them looking back at your own journey and it's funny you ask that because i've i had a uh senior in high school job shadow me probably in january or february he wanted to be a taxidermist and he's now at school too. And so we're, you know, texting pictures back and forth and whatnot. And he's asked me for advice, you know, what would you do and whatnot? Cause he, I think he just graduated like last Friday or something. Oh, wow. And I was like, you know, get your name out. That's the biggest thing for a taxidermist is like, you just got to advertise, advertise, advertise. Are you doing formal advertising or is it just your own social media accounts and posting, you know, good quality pictures of your work? Do you have like partnerships with anything or how, do, how does somebody go about advertising? Cause I think that's a big, that's a big unknown and a big um, fear. I think a lot of people would have about starting a business is how do I get people in the door? Like I can start the business. I can make a website. I know how to maybe mount a buck what I don't know how to do is, is get people in the door. And, and how do you go about that? Yeah, I was kind of lucky, you know, with my Coke job that I'm, you know, all around Southwest North Dakota. So it's, you know, posters and uh, business cards, you know. Okay. Uh, every gas station I'd stop at, it's like, okay, here's five posters, put one on the bulletin board. 
here's business cards, just throw them on the tables or whatever. Um, even like the towns I wouldn't go to, I'd, you know, spend a weekend and just kind of make a little road trip and visit all the little towns, go to the cafes. So I'm kind of doing, I did that more to start. Um, I did social media just because, you know, that I'm around that age and everything's shifting over to social media right now. Yeah. Um, so I'm definitely getting bigger into social media and making sure I post more and um, started a TikTok account, uh, trying to get that going. But like I said earlier, not huge uh, tech savvy. So yeah. I'm lucky enough to have a younger sister that uh, can show me how to run TikTok. There you go. Um, but yeah, it's just, I basically did the, um, the posters, business cards, and uh, just producing good quality mounts yeah. from the get-go so that when someone asks, hey, where'd you get that buck mount? It's like, oh, I got it done here. He does a fantastic job. Yeah, word of mouth in a taxidermy industry is key. Oh, it's I mean, huge. It's huge. You don't want any bad reviews because that'll just wreck it. I mean, that's, I think, how most people, especially if someone doesn't have a taxidermist, right? They, they're they new into hunting or it's their first deer or dad never mounted anything, but now I want to mount something. They're going to ask somebody that's got a mount, hey, where'd you get that done? You know, and then I bet 90% of the time, wherever that person tells them is where they're going to go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can definitely agree on that. That word of mouth is huge in the industry. Um, word of mouth, I didn't realize between other taxidermists is huge. Or expand on that one. Uh, so like, for an example, there's five of us in Dickinson. Okay. Most of them are, you know, the guys doing it in the garage type deal, you know, retired guys kind of side hobby. Um, so they don't want to bring in that much work because they don't, I mean, they want to be retired. Oh, so kind of getting a relationship with them. Okay. was big for me. Um, cause I know a couple of them are now wanting to get completely out of it. And I've had guys come through the door like, yeah, this taxidermist, uh, referred me to, to you. He said you did good work because he doesn't want to do it anymore. So yeah. definitely building those relationships with your so-called competitors that are actually like there for you is huge. Yeah, I would have imagined it's a highly competitive field and you like do not want to. That's what borders. I thought. I was like every taxidermist, you know, you stay away. It's a dog fight when you get close to each other. But it's no, it's definitely they're there for you. Um, the kid who uh, job shadowed me. Like, yeah, we text pictures back and forth and he'll be like, Hey, how's this look? Uh, do I have to change this? And I'll do the exact same. Yeah. I'll be like, Hey, is this eye right? Or, you know, this ear look off. And he'll be like, yeah, you know, you might want to try this. And yeah, I mean, kind of everyone's there for everyone. That's a good mindset to have no matter what business you're in, obviously taxidermy, you know, only one person can mount this buck. And so you are kind of looking out for yourself, but I think when you have that mindset like you have of, you know, reaching out and being um, a good friend or a good business contact for other people in your lane can really help bring some value. And, and it's important no matter what business you're in to, you know, 
just be a nice person and, and be willing to help others. They're going to be willing to help you. Obviously, everyone's going to find the exception and, you know, okay, that guy we don't talk to, but everyone else, great relationships with. It's That's really, it's really cool to see that that's going on in the taxidermy world as well. Yeah, I mean... I definitely did not realize how big it was because, like I said, I thought it was straight, you know, dog fight. We didn't get close to each other. I mean, you want all the deer in the entire area. Yeah. Type. I mean, there's guys that are going to act like that and sure. be like, hey, you know, I'm I'm the owner of this, like, territory. Like, stay out of my way. Yeah. Like, the top dogs. And, um, I mean, when I started and like reached out to other taxidermists for help and whatnot and realized which ones are there to help and which ones, you know, kind of stay away. I mean, if the other person needs help, yeah. Cause he's fallen behind or something hopped up, like, yeah, I'm definitely going to jump in and help. Um, and it's not even that on like a, like area or, uh, relation. I mean, it's like nationwide too. Yeah. Um, my competition coyote is, I've molded the form myself basically wow. and actually contacted a taxidermist out of Pennsylvania that did a lot of, uh, you know, cutting apart forms and molding them, how they, you know, making almost a brand new form. What I did was I took a jumping up coyote, yeah, which you've probably seen that mount around quite a bit where they're jumping up, kind of leaping. Yep. I turned him upside down. Like he's landing. Oh, like trying to dive into a snowbank. And that's exactly what I did. Oh, well, cool. So I ordered, you know, the form where the anchor points are the back legs. Well, yeah. his back legs are in the air. Right. So you so, got to freeform those into pause and then move the anchor to the front. Front. And so, I mean, I finally got a hold of the guy in Pennsylvania and he runs a huge operation out there. And I follow him on social media and whatnot. And that's kind of how I found him. And he's like, yeah, try this. And sure enough, it worked. Oh, that's awesome. And he's yeah. Like, yeah. If you need any other help, just he actually gave me his personal number. So I don't have to call the shop and go through a secretary. Yeah. To try to get a hold of him. So he's like, yeah, here's my personal number. Like any questions, just give me a call. Sweet. Are you so now that you're getting into social media a little bit, are you starting to get contacts and people DM you and, and ask, you know, how to get get in, get an animal to you? Or is it still mostly word of mouth? It's mostly word of mouth. I mean, I only started the uh, social media, like going hard at the social media probably a year now. Okay. So it's def. I mean, you also have to kind of get your word of mouth on social media. Like, hey, you got to follow this person, you know, post cool stuff or yeah. whatnot. And that's kind of where I'm going with, with the whole TikTok account and mm-hmm. uh, Instagram I mean, we're going to start, like, no one really knows what goes on in a taxidermist shop. Yeah. Rough, like, the day or the week. So, I mean, we're kind of doing a summary type deal. Like, uh, like this is what we did Monday, Tuesday, and kind of like little clips of us working and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely like a quantity over quality, too, on, the, on social media. Like, just post everything. Like, post putting a hide on post the, you know, putting the mud on them and shaping in the clay and, and mounting the antlers. Like I see a lot of, maybe I'm biased, but I see a lot of taxidermy content, especially on TikTok, And, and some of it's so satisfying, especially when you get like the, the nice clean the eye, eye peel. peel. Yep. The eye peel, the throwing, like the, the, um, 
I don't know what it's actually called. Transitions when someone will like throw a cape over it and then like boom, it's mounted. Like those yep. are some pretty cool things. You can do some really cool stuff with lighting and angles. You know, like a little video to to show your mount. Um, definitely, social media is probably going to start building up for you. Hopefully, that starts putting people in. I suppose it's a challenge because on social media, you your followers and your viewers are all over the nation. Yet you're in Dickinson, North Dakota. Is there an option for somebody to send you? Um, birds or skull caps or, or, you know, is there a way people can, can come and, and send their stuff to you, even if they don't live in North Dakota? Yeah. I mean, there definitely is. It's a little bit different process. Cause I mean, like I said, someone brings a bird in half the time they bring it, you know, that afternoon because mm-hmm. they went out in the morning, shot the bird. Then they bring it in the afternoon or like a day later. Yep. So, I mean, for something like, uh, but you gotta ship it. I mean, definitely have to freeze it. Yeah. And uh, fast shipping. Yeah, freeze it, put it on dry ice, I suppose, overnight yeah. it. Which isn't. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna get a bird mounted, it's not that much to spend forty, fifty bucks in shipping and dry ice to get it to you on time. No, definitely not. I mean, deer. That'd be a little trickier. A little bit trickier. Um. Cause you wouldn't, you'd have to literally cape the entire deer out yourself. Yeah. And then keep the cape and, and that would be a little tricky. Yeah. And you'd have to ship the cape up to me and then ship the horns up and be a little bit trickier than a bird. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's doable. There's just, it's definitely a different, it'd be a different process. Okay. Yeah. Well, I suppose you're kind of located for folks that don't know Dickinson is just on the East side of the badlands. And I would say four out of every 10 people, at least, that hunt the Badlands are coming from Fargo. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. I mean, 40%. When, we're the, when we're out in the Badlands, uh, like early season, like we're getting ready to go early season uh, bow hunting, uh, there are camps everywhere. Probably, oh, it's like every quarter mile down the road. Yeah. And it's like, where do all these people come from? And you talk to someone, it's like, yeah, I'm from, yeah, Fargo. I'm from Grand Forks. We just, this is our, like, guys weekend, too. Yeah. Yeah, so Fargo, Grand Forks, Bismarck, the three big towns or cities in North Dakota. But you are located, like, on the way home for all three of those big cities. So I I bet that is a big pull for your customers, too. It's like they can go hunting if they're successful. Boom, you're right there on the way home to drop it off. It's on the way. You don't have to make a special trip. Yeah, I've had a few guys from, like, the Fargo, Moorhead area uh, come back through, and they're like, yeah, uh, um, can we drop our deer off or whatever? And I've actually had one uh, kind of just kind of going back and forth on uh, social media, uh, DMing each other back and forth, whatnot. But they actually couldn't find a tax nervous. It was right when that CWD law kind of hit yeah and they couldn't find one in that area and i'm literally 10 miles out of that district okay and i was like well here's what we can do i drove my pickup to a gravel road so i was in the unit yep caped his deer out and it was in full velvet so caped it out did all the velvet preparation and whatnot so he could legally take it out yep of that unit and they're like well we got three other tags to fill 
you mind just taking it to your shop and we'll pick it up on the way home? And I was like, yeah, no problem. Let them go hunting, took it back, and they picked it up and actually took it to another taxidermist. Sure. But I got a hold of him. I said, I have it for you. This is how I did it. He's like, okay, perfect. I was like, they're going to, they'll pick it up uh, on their way home and drop it off and it's all ready for you. And I kind of built a relationship with that group hunting and then now a relationship with that taxidermist. Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of a win-win. I'm sure they'll be definitely thinking about you next time. And what does it take to mount a buck that's in full velvet? I've never shot one, so I don't even know. But what what are the process steps that you have to go through in order to try to save that velvet? Uh, velvet's definitely tricky. I advise anyone to not stick their tag on the velvet. Okay. Um, kind of want them. So, like, North Dakota tags are paper tags Yep. with, like, the sticker. Yep. So you want to, you know, obviously it has to be legally stick together on the horns. Yep. But you can cut that backing for the sticker. Yep. So that the sticker part doesn't stick to any velvet and rip it off. Yeah. Because when, uh, like, our velvet bucks are getting shot opening weekend, they're ready to shed. Like, that velvet's a week off. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely that's like an infield prep and then uh, get it to a taxidermist ASAP. Do you have to freeze it or dry ice it or how does that, how do you keep it? I go about using Velvalock. Okay. I don't know if you've seen that product. So basically Velvalock is a spray on chemical. Okay. So you just spray it on let it dry, spray it on. You do that like three times and boom, done. If, is that a product that if somebody was going out, like maybe on a backcountry mule deer hunt and they're hoping to shoot a velvet buck, but they know it might be a day or two before they could get it back to a taxidermist. Could they bring a bottle of it with them and apply it? Themselves? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you just go on velvalock.com, they have uh, products. They have, I think three products now. So there's the Velva Lock, which is velvet preparation. That's kind of how their company was built. Okay. And then now they make, uh, I mean, everyone wants to keep their mounts, you know, how they pick them up at the tax show. Yeah. But, I mean, that's kind of impossible when they sit in your living room for 10 years. They get dusty, you know, okay. kind of fade. So then they made a thing called Velva Clean. Spray on, wipe it off, it's clean. Okay. And now they do Velva White, which is based on euros, and it'll whiten a European mount. Okay. So folks can either do that or they could stop in at your shop on their way out, yep. say I hi, mean, book their book their uh, their shoulder mount, buy a Velva lock can, head out west hunting, and then drop it off when they're done on the way home. And then it's all red, Velvet's already preserved, and I have no worries about it. Yeah. Do you Have you had to do replacement Velvet before? Um, I messed around with it this year a little bit. Yeah. Uh, my buddy was lucky enough to shoot a mule deer in velvet and he shot it late too, which was, I was surprised when he sent me a picture and yeah. this thing's in velvet first week of October. Yeah. A lot of them were late. I have a coworker that shot a, a 193 in the Badlands last year with his rifle and it was still velvet. Yeah, I've definitely been seeing that more and more. Yeah. I think it's the drought um, and the EHD. Yep. 
I've, I've heard the EHD definitely affects whitetails differently and that's possibly why. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I've messed around with the replacement velvet a little bit. Um, definitely does not look like real velvet. So I'm like, I tell anyone, I mean, you definitely want to try to keep the real stuff because you can't replicate what's real. You try your best. Yeah. But you can definitely tell it's not the right stuff. Cause I mean, velvet is, I mean, it's hair. Yeah. So yeah, it has different replicate. shades. It has different lengths. I mean, you can't get that in every strand of uh, the replacement velvet. What the replacement velvet is, it's either like kind of flocking that you kind of you put an adhesive on and you kind of like sprinkle it on. Yep. Or now they make static velvet so you can actually make it stand up like velvet does. Okay. But still, it's one shade. Yeah. So what do you what would you advise for someone that shoots a mule deer in velvet with their bow and then watches it tumble down a cliff and just tear up the velvet? Because if you take the velvet off, those antlers aren't going to look like they would. You know, it's going to be white. They're not going to be probably real sharp. Yeah, um, they're, they're definitely sharp because they definitely haven't rubbed on any trees. I mean, you so can you, go about, like, recoloring horns. Okay. Um, this mule deer up here I recolored. Okay. It's actually a set of sheds uh, my cousin found Yeah. in Wyoming when I went down there shed hunting. And then I just put them on a shoulder mount because it's a, I mean, it's a big giant. Two point, two yeah. I'd shoot that all oh, day long. Every person that comes in the shops, like that's a giant two by two. And I was like, yeah, I think any person would uh, put their tag on him. But sure. so, I mean, you can go about recoloring horns. I mean, okay. definitely not how you shot it. And that's the whole purpose of like a taxidermist is to recreate yeah. the animal before you shot it. Um, tumbling down a cliff or tearing it up through cedars while it's running. I mean, that's part of the story. Yeah. It can, is. Can so the velvet can, lock keep those pieces, like, hanging? It can. I mean, they do fall off every now and then. Yeah. And I had a buddy uh, a couple of years ago. The buck was actually already shedding his velvet, so he had it kind of hanging. Yep. And I, you know, sprayed it with velvet lock, and it stayed. Um, them pieces hanging, some of them kind of fell off, but I kept my eye on it. So when they'd fall off, I keep it, spray it with Velvalock, put it in like a Ziploc bag. Yep. So when that deer was done, I would actually just glue them right back on. Oh, cool. So you can so you can keep up with that way. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. So what if you look at like what you get in a year, do you do fish? Or do you do fish at all or just birds and animals? I, I contract my fish out. Okay. So like I was lucky enough to become like good friends with the instructor over in Billings. Oh, sure. And so he does, I contract all my fish out through him. Okay. So it's like, I bring the fish in, we kind of drive back and forth, you know? Yeah. And pick them up, drop them off. So if so someone kinda, catches a fish in your neck of the woods, you can be their drop location. Like, yeah, but I can be like their drop box basically. Yeah. Get it. And then taken I care take of. it to them. Right. So it doesn't get stinky by the time you hit Billings. Yeah. Yeah. Freeze it and I'll drive it to Billings. Um, I actually brought in two last night that are going to have to go now. Okay. But normally with my fish, I tell them, you know, it's going to be 15, 18 months. Yeah. Just because it's like, okay, I'm, a guy brings a fish in. I'm not really going to make a 400 mile trip for a f one fish. 
per one fish. Yeah. Uh, so you kind of, I mean, that kind of goes about the budgeting thing too with a business. I mean, if you do that with every fish you get, I mean, there's going to be some really expansive make, perch. Yeah. You're really not going to make, cause that's all on me. Like yeah. I don't charge them to, to do that. Yeah. So you, you're bundling up. Yeah. So I kind of wait till I build up about six, eight fish and then over or, if he's coming here, I'll be like, okay, I got a couple fish for you. Yeah. And he'll swing by and pick them up. Okay. So out of the stuff you do, what percentage is like big game versus small game, antler mount, euro? Like what's the breakdown? Oh, uh, I can like I said, it varies year to year. Um, I would, if I did the math quick in my head, I bet 50% of it's euros. Okay. A lot of euros. Just, yeah. I mean, this year I did 70, 75 again. Wow. But I switched over to using beetles instead of boil and pressure washing. So you have your own family of beetles? Yep. I have my own beetle colony of roughly, uh, I mean, we estimate 80 to 100,000. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Every, like when people, I've heard it before, like, yeah, I got 100,000 beetles. I'm like, do you? How do you know you have 100,000 beetles? Exactly. Did you count every one of them? I mean, there's, I kind of go off of how fast they can clean ahead. Okay. I can toss five deer in there and in three days they're clean. Wow. That's incredible. But that's just clean. I mean, I just transitioned over to beetles. I kind of stuck some money aside and invested, you know, more into the business. Okay. And bought the beetle colony. And uh it was definitely a learning curve yeah keeping sure. them alive and making sure the temperatures are right and they got good temperature food and they're clean because when you boil and pressure wash you degrease the skull at the same time yeah before you whiten okay well with beetles all they do is clean it so that's all they do okay so you they just get yeah they just get it. the meat off so then i had to learn you know set up a degreasing tank and degrease and keep the chemicals right in the degreasing tank and yeah, definitely by the end of probably, I mean, I'm on my last batch of euros finally. Okay. But probably the oh, three batches before this, I finally started getting the hang of it. Okay. So you're so really, you're moving towards the euro market. Like you definitely want to keep growing that then you're making good investments and, and bringing on more capacity, you know, doing five beetles a week or 10 beetles a week. Um, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, I'd say the majority of the mounts I do are euros. I mean, one, the client gets them back faster. Yep. Uh, two, they don't cost as much no. than yeah. a normal shoulder mount. And three, they don't take up any space. I mean, you could fill a wall with euros. Yeah, my fiance says if she shoots a big buck, she's going to do a euro because she wants to use it for decorating. And it, she she claims it's harder to do that with a with a shoulder mount, which I don't understand, but I'm a guy. Apparently, yeah. shoulder mounts don't match the mood of the room the same that the euros do. So I was well, like, I've okay. never heard that. I've actually heard the opposite of uh, let's do a shoulder mount instead because I don't want to stare at a skull on the wall. Yeah, everyone's different, I'm sure. I'm big on the shoulder mounts. I, I would, I'm trying to set a bar for myself that every um, – Everything I shoot from here on out is a shoulder mount, which is more age than size for me. But 
that's where I'm going mm-hmm. with. Now, if I do archery mule deer or archery elk, I'll probably shoot whatever I get a good shot at, and then we might do a euro. But for sure, with the rifle, for sure on whitetails, trying to keep it at that that shoulder mount, that mature age class, because I love them. I love shoulder mounts. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's always something about a shoulder mount. Uh, my biggest is they kind of just came out with wall pedestal mounts. Yep. So it's a pedestal mount, which on you the get wall. more. Yeah, which you get more shoulder. Yep. And you get a nice sharp turn on them. Mm-hmm. I mean, if anyone asked me, well, what would you do? It's wall pedestal. Yeah. One, it's different. It's not like any other shoulder mount on the wall. Yep. And two, I mean, you can make it your own. I've put leather on the back. I've built habitat because there's like a piece cut out on the back. Yeah, flush piece. Yep, and you get to like fill that in or whatnot with almost whatever you want. My elk is a wall pedestal that we turned into a pedestal. Turned into a pedestal? Yeah, and he's he looks to the left. He's actually a form that my taxidermist had because he said, yeah, the guy brought in an elk, and, you know, it was – we, he said it was this big or whatever, and I ordered the form, and it wasn't even close. It was way too big, and the hide wouldn't stretch over it. He goes, now I don't know what I'm going to do with the dump thing. And I'm like, my elk's pretty big, man. I think it might work. Don't throw it away yet. And I brought it in, and sure enough, it was a perfect fit. So we yeah, used that, that. That's a huge thing in ta- like the taxidermy industry is uh, the measurements have to be dead on yeah for some reason he didn't get a chance to measure it himself because it was an elk in minnesota um, okay. the taxidermist was in minnesota it was an elk so they kind of you know he must have measured it himself and sent it in and didn't measure it in the right spot but it, it ended up fitting perfectly for mine and it was exactly what i wanted it's like a quarter left uh semi upright mm-hmm. but it's got i'm sure you know like all of the neck muscles lined up so you can see that ripple through yeah, the hide them ring yeah, those wrinkles and whatnot when they turn their head. Yeah, I love that detail. It, you, it, it really, to me, turns taxidermy up another level of artwork and showcasing an animal with those pedestals and the and because it, it seems like you're looking at more of the animal. Yeah, I mean, I can agree with you on there. I mean, any time you want to do, like, something, you know, a little bit more with your shoulder mount, it just makes that mount that much better. Yeah. Because, I mean, you could line up a garage with, you know, 15 shoulder mounts, but they all look the same. Yeah. But you put, you know, a little snow habitat or a branch with some leaves on it, that that one shoulder mount, it could be the smallest deer out of them, just pops. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they definitely go a long ways in, in showcasing your memory, and that's, you know, that's why I do it. Um, I'll never look back and be like, I wish I had $500 more, and, but I will definitely look back and be like, oh, I wish I would have mounted that one buck back then. You know. Yeah, that happens a lot, like around here. Um, I will talk someone into shoulder mounting a deer if I would shoulder mount it, yeah. and that's not coming from – like a business side of it either that's i'll i straight up tell them this is personal yeah but i'd shoulder mount i was like you're kind of dumb for not shoulder mounting that yeah like a, i had a guy with 170 inch mule deer i mean bases were five and a half six inches wow just i mean the thing was just mass and he was gonna euro it and i looked at him and i go okay i'm not trying to get 600 dollars out of you 
but you're going to regret if I grow this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a heck of an animal. I wouldn't even think twice about that one. But, um, so if someone does a euro, can you, do you ever buy hides to redo amount or if someone messes up their cape really bad or decides to take sheds or a euro buck and make it into a shoulder mount? Do you have a way you can get your hands on a couple hides and do that? Yeah. I mean, with my relationship, you know, with the school, I mean, we have, I mean, they have a room full of hides. I could get almost any hide you want. Nice. Um, and then I'm kind of stockpiling all mine up as well. Oh, sure. Yeah, all my buddies as well. I mean, they shoot a buck with their bow, but hey, let's just do a Euro. But they're like, oh, Reese might need this cape. They'll cape it out, bring it in, and then I got a replacement cape. Yeah, you can probably see just half of an antler up on the wall there. Those are all horn mounts. And we used to have a deal with our taxidermist that we would trade our our capes for a free horn mount because he was okay. he's doing like $75 horn mounts. And then he had a lot of clients back in the day that were just throat gutting their, their deer. And he's like, I yeah. don't want to resew that. Like, it's not going to look good. I can't use it. And they're like, well, I still want to mount. So he, so he was charging them that $75 that we were getting for free to use mm-hmm. our hides. And then eventually he started doing a good job of training people up on how to do it right. So he didn't need as many capes. So now that, that deal kind of dried up, but yeah, I have, I have eight of them in here actually um, that I all did that trade with. A couple of them are too small um, that I didn't get the de- the deal, but that was a good yeah. thing for a while. But now I'm going to go, st- I think I'm going to go to euros and shoulders. If it's not a shoulder okay. mount, I'm going to do the euro. Cause I just love the look of a good euro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I kind of do something like that. I mean, I, I basically give a like $25 credit mm-hmm. for a Cape. Yeah. Um, I kind of push towards uh, using your own cape. Yeah, if you can, for deer. sure. Even if it, I mean, I'm working on one right now. The one, the buck I was working on last night, I spent all of Saturday sewing them back up. Oh, because you got cut it too was, many places. Oh, it was, it was the worst one I've seen. And I, because, I mean, every deer is different color, mm-hmm. different shape. I mean, they have a Roman nose, they don't. Uh, more gray in the face, yeah. A double throat patch, split ear. I mean, you can go on and on about naming it. Well, if I use another cape, I mean, it's your deer, but it's not not your your deer. So, with those, like, you know, the one I'm working on right now, uh, it's missing. He cut an entire shoulder off. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So we're Oops. gonna do like a rock habitat to cover up that. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. That piece that he's kind of that piece that he's missing. missing. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, yeah, we'd have to go about getting a new one. I had a um, a game warden in Colorado actually convinced me to do shoulder on my last elk. I was thinking euro. It was about a two hundred eighty inch six by seven. Um, okay. A couple of real short tines on the top. To it was really like a five by six, but he had a just barely scorable. So it's six by seven. And I was him and Han, and I had talked to this guy a couple times through my hunt because I was camping in my truck because it was snowing up in the mountains, and I didn't want to set my tent up and then get stuck up there. And it was like yeah. 13 below rifle season, and I was just sleeping in the backseat of my truck on, an, on a, a sleeping bag. 
And he was like, are you nuts, man? Like, it's 13 below out here. Are you going to be okay? It's like, I don't know. I've never done it before, but I think I'll be okay. I mean, I did like 20 degrees last year in Montana. It's like, whatever, man. If you get cold, go to town, get a hotel. I don't want you dying on my mountain. Well, then I shot my bull and I went down to a public land parking lot to cape him out because I had to cape him out to bring him home. Yep. And I was going to just do a Euro. So I was going to leave. I was going to bring the cape because I knew I could trade it probably for something because it was like a four year old bull. But I was yeah. going to do a full Euro. And he stops by to talk at talk with me and look at the, the bull. And he's like, dude, you got to just cap it. Don't worry about boiling it. Just skull cap it and shoulder mount it, man. You got to shoulder mount this thing. It, this is a hell of a bull especially for this unit. I'm like, oh, I guess. I mean, it was a solo hunt up in the Alpine, brutal hunt. Definitely, I bet, like, you definitely look at that mount now if it's back. It's not. It'd be like, well, once you get it back, you're definitely going to look at it and be like, yeah, that's the bull I camped in my truck when it was negative 13 out. Yeah, it was the first time I went somewhere on my own. It was the first time I went on a solo Western, like, real Western hunt, not like North Dakota Badlands. Mm -hmm. Um full week it was brutal weather shot him right at sunset it took me until like 11 o'clock to finish quartering him by myself it was a super steep slope um by 1 30 i was finally done quartering or shuffling the quarters down to a, a trail that i could take my truck down okay and then i got back to the truck at like 2 a.m which is for anyone that's like oh i stay up till 2 a.m all the time okay do that on a mountain in the dark by yourself at like zero degrees, it hits oh, different. Yeah. It, it just feels different. Everything, that, every noise that happens, you're like, is that a bear? What's that over there? I can't see that. Yeah. Sounds like me uh, last Saturday. I mean, one thing that's nice about, you know, starting your own business and being kind of self-employed like that is you kind of get to pick your schedule yeah. a little bit. I mean, you still have to have self-discipline and be like, okay, I got to get this done. But I mean, last Saturday I was, you know, sewing that deer up all day and it was like two o'clock and I was like, I'm supposed to put this deer together yet. And I was like, uh, no, my day is over now. And I hopped in my truck, went home, grabbed food, went to the Badlands, scouted for deer, uh, walked out in the pitch dark. So it was, yeah, uh, really feels like mountain lions are, you know, staring you down. Yep. Uh, rattlesnakes definitely afraid of those yeah but uh it just with your own business you get to pick that schedule if you're having a tough day uh like at work or whatever you'd be like okay i'm gonna go do something i love and just clear my mind oh yeah that i think that's the biggest one of the biggest pulls to doing your own business is you're in control yeah, you got to get your work done if you want to be successful, but that could mean working your tail off Monday through Wednesday so you can go out and scout Thursday and Friday where all your buddies are still at work punching a time clock. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've put in days here so I could go out, you know, opening weekend of deer rifle season, or I could go up to the lake, you know, take off a weekend and go up to the lake and hang out with the buddies. But it's, uh, okay, I'll be up at the lake, you know, Saturday morning at seven and I don't leave the shop here till midnight, 1am. Yeah. Cause you got to get, you know, the work that you get done on Saturday yep. done on Friday, but you also have to get Friday's work done. So you got to combine both of them and yeah, you just grind it out. Yeah. It can be a grind. 
it can definitely be a grind. But uh, what do you think? You think it's worth it? Are you happy the way your life has gone, and or did you do it different? Oh, uh, it's a hundred percent worth it. Hundred percent worth it. Hundred percent. I wouldn't really change anything. I mean, basically, just have to have the mindset of you know work hard and don't look back. Uh, you're definitely gonna have self uh, like sacrifices. Like uh, I've been up to the lake once this year with my buddies fishing. Yeah. I mean, they invite me every weekend, but it's like, hey, you know, I can't do it this weekend. I gotta, I gotta work. Okay. But yep. so I mean, you're definitely gonna have self sacrifices in it, and I'm lucky enough to have buddies and family that you know know, you know, he's working. Yeah. It's not like he just doesn't want to come. Yeah, so they keep um, inviting you in case you're able to this time, not like, ah, he never comes. We're not going to invite him anymore. Exactly. Um, I've left uh, Thanksgiving to go cape a deer out. Oh, yeah. Because I got the call. Yep. And it's like, hey, yep, got to go to work. So, I mean, that's one thing with being self-employed. I mean, especially in, like, taxidermy. I mean, you're on call. Yeah. Especially when you when you want to be hunting too, you can be on exactly. call in the the your peak season as well. But which is weird. So when I first you know started, I thought, oh, I'm never gonna get time to hunt. That's how like my first year was. I was like, oh, I'm never gonna get time to hunt. Shot the first year I saw, <laughs> and then I'm sitting around the shop on the weekend, like, why isn't anyone calling? You know, everyone's out hunting. Well, then I realized, oh, everyone's out hunting. Yep. So they're they going to call, call you on Sunday night, Monday morning. Monday morning. Yeah. It's Monday, Tuesday morning. Phone just blows up. And then, so it's like, okay, I can actually hunt on the weekend. Yep. You'll get those regular, you know, occurrence calls. But other than that, it's like, no, most of them actually know, you know, a taxidermist, he's probably out hunting too. So they kind of wait. Have you ever thought of doing like an ice box? Um, like you see in a gas station, a lot of them might have like double doors or triple doors and like put it outside your shop with two keys and the padlock. And then like, just say, Hey, throw it in box number one and pull the key. And then when I come in in the morning, I, I have my own key. I'll pull it out of there and, and bring it in. That way you could have like maybe four little boxes set up for someone to drop off their bucks, but then they're not like, Oh, Hey, there's 190. Whoop. Yeah. I've definitely thought about doing some sort of drop off especially with me running route yep. coke i'll get calls you know put them in the coke the truck yeah <laughs> i don't know if the boss would be too happy about that yeah it's about, they're I, also not cool they're just trucks yeah um so i've def, definitely thought about the dropbox type deal yeah um i'm lucky enough to have a cooler in this shop yeah so you drop it off but i don't have time to flesh and salt the hide I get to toss it in the cooler yep. until yeah, I get time. Right so it gives me a little bit, a little bit of a leeway. Yeah. For but sure. yeah, it's definitely a thought to have the drop box. I've had a lot of people call and said, Hey, can I drop this off? It's like, yeah, I'm not at the shop. Um, yeah. Especially out of staters. It's like they'll call the morning their flight leaves. Hey, can I drop this off? It's like, Ew. yeah, I'm not here. Let me text one of my buddies and see if they can swing by. Yeah, and let you in, but then they don't, you know, how to, they really don't know how to fill out the invoice or yeah, do all that, so. Yeah, my taxidermist, we drop so much stuff off now. They He taught me how to get into a shop. He taught me how to fill out the form, but usually it's just like, this is my dear Brian, 
and he'll call me yeah. when he gets back and he's like, okay, what do you want to do with this? Um, so yeah, no, I hear you there. If you could give one piece of advice, the, the only thing that you could tell somebody that wants to get into their own outdoor business, especially if it's taxidermy, what would the one piece of advice be that you think is, is make or break? Uh, I mean, probably definitely just work hard at it. Um, it's not going to happen overnight. It's, it's a grind. Um, you'll see it build throughout, you know, the months, the years, you'll look back. Like I look back, uh, three years ago, I was working out of this 20 by 20 so-called shop, which basically looked like a shed. I don't know what my clients thought when they pulled up to this thing, but you know, oh, this is the taxidermy shop. So yeah, I mean, um, definitely be grateful of like where you started, but yeah, work hard at it. There you have it, folks. Keep at it. Keep at the grind. Give it some time and then look back and, and see how far you've come. Reese, I love having you on here. I want to be a little respectful of your time as well. Don't want to eat into the next guy's mount. I'm glad you're here. Give the folks uh, your your socials, your website. How can people reach you if they have questions about becoming a taxidermist or mounts that they want to drop off and, and have you uh, taxiderm or what's the word for it? stuff that's not a very good word <laughs> i mean my slogan is basically just mount it mount it that's yeah what I, that that's what i basically use is just mount it yeah but, tell people uh, where they can find you if they want to mount it uh yeah basically uh uh facebook instagram at northwind taxidermy um i basically on that every day otherwise northwindtaxidermy.com or i mean always just give me a call awesome there you have it folks thanks for listening two bucks podcast 